So this morning we are continuing with part two of our series, Wealth and Wielding It Well. We talked some about how we honor God with the the riches that he's given us. This morning we're going to talk some about how to be rich. How we do it. Not how to get rich, but how to be rich. Last week we worked through Paul and his letter to Timothy, especially chapter 6. The problem with, we talked some about the problem with desiring to be rich and all the uh, foolish decisions it makes us, it leads us into, all the trouble it leads us into, even um, heartbreak and, and even people walking away from faith as they desire to get rich. And then we found this, this gem that Paul speaks to Timothy, says, Godliness and contentment are great gain. And as I was focusing on that, it, it, it seemed like I'd found uh, the answer to uh, so many of my questions about wealth and how do we handle it. And I started thinking, too, if, if we could just change the way we view wealth. And I started thinking about how wealth is relative. Throughout history, different things have signaled wealth. We talked about it last week, that at some points in history, the amount of land you had, or the amount of sheep you had, or the amount of beaver skins you had, or the amount of whale oil you had, Different things have symbolized wealth. And in our culture right now, it seems to be these uh, multicolored pieces of paper and uh, stuff. And we started talking about what if we changed our idea of wealth? What if we chose, rather than to go along with the culture around us, what if we chose wealth was godliness and contentment? We could be filthy, stinking rich today. (laughs) We could be rich right now if we chose that as wealth. So we talked some about, uh, rather than chasing after our culture's idea of wealth, if we started choosing our own, especially the idea that Paul gives us, of godliness and contentment. This week we're working through the next big question. We, I kind of alluded to it last week. Most of us uh, in our church family aren't, as I think about you, I've been thinking about you over these last few weeks, especially as I've been studying this, most of you aren't trying to get rich. But I think about most of you, none of you, um, or I can't think of any of you, who I look at you and I would say, they are trying way too hard to get rich. But we are wealthy. Every one of us in this room is wealthy. And so I'm wondering, how do we honor God with the wealth that he has given us? If chasing wealth is bad and leads to all kinds of trouble, What do we do when we're already wealthy? And like I said, we're all rich, every one of us in this room. And true, some of us in this room are relatively more or less wealthy compared to each other. But everyone in this room, compared to 95% of the rest of the world, we are rich. We, all of us, are wealthy. So for me, it raises questions. How do we handle that wealth? How do we honor God with this wealth? How do we spend it? How much should we share? How much should we save? Some of you have been wrestling through these same same questions. Like I said already, I don't think of many of you as chasing wealth, trying to get richer and richer. But like I said, we're all wealthy. And we're trying to figure out how do we use that wealth well to honor God by the way we spend it, save it, share it, everything. And some of you are wondering, how do we handle our wealth for the rest of our lives? 
And if you are retired, you are past your wage-earning years. How do we use wealth well? How does my plan with what I'm doing with my money, how does that fit with what God is doing or what God's plan is for me? Am I even asking him? Am I even praying? Lord, please guide me with what I should do with this wealth that you have given me. What help can we get from the scriptures, from the word of God? This morning, we are going to find help in the word of God, and we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to to Timothy, especially uh, in chapter 6. And the words that we're going to be looking at begin especially at verse 17, which are so relevant to us, where Paul begins instructing about how do we handle wealth. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Timothy, chapter 6. If you want to, you can also look in your insert. It's here as well on the inside page. I'm going to read this, the whole page, so you can get a context, so you get some understanding of everything that's happening here. So if you would, read with me. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So as you can see, there's issues with false teachers in Ephesus where where Timothy is, is the pastor. But he's saying that there's this connection. People are teaching these things for financial gain. So he continues, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women, for that matter, into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, who while testing before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen nor can see, to him be honor and might forever. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's take a moment and pray that we would hear these words. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. Help us as we study your word this morning, as we learn from uh, Paul and from you, Holy Spirit, to understand how to be rich, how to handle our wealth in ways that honor you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
So I'm thinking about it this week, and <clears throat> our common idea of wealth looks something like this, right? This is our idea of wealth. Fancy car, the jet, this little suitcase and a nice breezy suit, all tan sunglasses. As I've been studying this passage, I've been thinking wealth looks a lot more like this. All the stuff that we're trying to pack on our backs as we try to follow Jesus. Bit of a different picture. Being wealthy is dangerous. Reading this passage, I'm realizing this, that being wealthy is dangerous. I mean, wealth should come with a warning label about all the side effects. I was reading again Andy Stanley's book, How to Be Rich. And he was talking about that wealth should come with all sorts of warnings about what happens to us once we get it, while we're trying to pursue it. It made me think of the TV ads where you see where you see the people and they're out to dinner and eating and then they're, they're laughing and they're walking by the river or the lake and everything is wonderful. And then it's a, a, a pharmaceutical for like anti-inflammatory for arthritis or something like that. And then at the end, the person goes into auctioneer mode, right? May cause heart disease, uh, lung failure, uh, upset stomach, bleeding, even death. Like it goes through all those things. And you start thinking like, that wealth should have this for us. Wealth should have warnings like this. Because having uh, wealth can be a great relief. That's true. I don't uh, want to glorify poverty. Poverty is difficult. And anybody who's lived in poverty, I actually am grateful I never have lived in poverty. But people who have and who do tell you it is horrible. It grinds you. It's heartbreaking. It's not easy. It's horrible. But having wealth has side effects as well, too. Wealth comes with all sorts of dangerous side effects. So this morning we're going to be focusing in on verse 17, where Paul says, speaking to Timothy here, he says, Command those who are arrogant, or sorry, command those who are rich in this present world. The first thing is says not to be arrogant. For those of us, for us in this room who are wealthy, which is all of us compared to the rest of the world, that we would not be arrogant. And I think of arrogant, and I think of that picture we saw with a guy with a suitcase getting on the airplane, that smug look on his face. But also, as I was reading this too, I was thinking about not just that over-the-top arrogance, but also the pride that we have when we have wealth, the more subtle pride that we have. I see it in my own life. Rather than asking God for things, Lord, please provide, I just go buy it. I don't even ask, I just go buy it. Or I see it too where we live in our community. We live in Grandview just down the highway. There's lots of people there. Um, and I, I could be wrong, but there's not a lot of asking for help. There's not, at least for help around each other's place. And I've told stories before about one time I went to ask someone if they needed help, and they were just finished up. They said, no, I'm going to pay someone to come do it. And they were still so amazed that I would ask if they needed help. When we were wealthy, 
our pride creeps in and we don't ask for help. We just pay someone to come fix it for us or do it for us. So I don't think, as I think again, as I've been talking about, as I've thought about you, my church family, I don't think of any of you as arrogant, over-the-top, who are rude with, because of wealth. But if you're anything like me, we wrestle with pride. Subtle, more subtle forms of pride. Of wanting to always help people but never receive help. Or never look like we can't handle things, so we just pay to have it done. The other danger, too, is that when we put our hope in wealth, he's encouraged them not to be arrogant, nor put your hope in wealth. This is a difficult one for me. Probably a difficult one for most of us. When I was 16, my parents were in a car accident. My mom is here, which I'm grateful for. Uh, but my dad, uh, he, he died. He was in a coma for months, and then he died. And I remember when my dad was in the coma, and then when he finally died, how afraid I was of what the future was going to be like, how my mom and I would make it. And I remember this um, irrational fear and this desire to take, to basically try and sell off everything that we had, any sort of extra thing we have, to pool all, like basically circle the wagons, pull all of our wealth together for security's sake. I was putting my hope totally in wealth, in money. And I still wrestle with that. I just turned 40 a few weeks ago. And Tracy, can, my wife, can attest to it. I still struggle with putting too much security in wealth. I'm working on it. Um, like I mentioned at the, at the announcements this morning, Tracy and I are uh, leading the trip to Ecuador and um, praying, Lord, will you please provide for that? I'm not sure how it's all going to come together but I'm hoping in the Lord, not just figuring out how I'm going to take money out of other savings or whatever, though I may have to, which who knows how God will lead me to do. But, but for me to put hope in the Lord, to put hope in God. Because you think, see, the thing is, wealth is so uncertain. I mean, think about where people put their money to make more money or to invest it. I mean, stocks, right? Ups and downs real estate in Vancouver or Toronto. Like, when's that going to blow up? What about oil, right? Three years ago, someone said, where are you going to put money? Put it in oil. I mean, they aren't making more of it. And, uh, you know, it's at $100 a barrel. It's going to just do nothing but go up as more and more people use it. And now, two years later, it's like half the price that it was. Wealth is uncertain. comes and goes. Even people, even unfortunately, people, even our own province here, people who had amazing homes, beautiful places, and then fire sweeps through the area and it wipes them out. Wealth is uncertain. As we talked, wealth should come with warning labels. Not only does it uh, invoke in us pride or arrogance, but also puts us, causes us to put our hope in the wrong place. So being wealthy is dangerous unless we wield our wealth to honor God, unless we use the way that God has provided for us to honor him. I'm grateful for this passage because I've been studying it this week. It has answered and helped me with a lot of questions I have about wealth. A lot of my theology about wealth has come from 
the rich young ruler, who said, Jesus said, give everything to me. And so I'm constantly wrestling with this, should I, should I walk away from everything? Should we sell everything, give it to the Lord? And so far, God hasn't drawn that from me in that sense. I think about Ananias and Sapphira. I think of these extreme examples where, um, that has shaped my theology about wealth. But as I've been reading this passage, it's given me a way to think about, to think about the wealth that I have, the wealth that God has provided for me, the homes that we have, this amazing place, this church family, and to think about it differently and how to use it in a way that honors him. This passage teaches us how to be wealthy and honor God. So he says, do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. He says, put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, putting our hope in God is the cure. For the temptations that come with wealth, hoping in God is the cure. One, because when we're hoping in God for our wealth, for our provision, it's hard to be arrogant when you realize what you have is absolutely a gift from someone else, from God. It's hard to be arrogant then. And it works against even our subtle pride of thinking, I'll just go buy this or I'll just take care of this myself. So if we're putting our hope in God, it, one, it undoes the arrogance or the pride. But not only that, but it actually directly puts our faith in God or our hope in Him rather than our money or our ability to pay for ourselves or our own security. If wealth should come with a warning, putting our hope in God is the antidote. Because God richly provides. I've seen it in my own life. And how God worked through even people in our church family, through the stories, that we have this home where we do. And before that, Tracy and I, we lived in basement suites our whole life, our whole marriage. Not our whole life, but our whole marriage. So God has provided. God has provided richly. And I think about this family, this church family we have, even our sons, that we can gather here with you on Sundays. God has provided richly for us. I couldn't be more pleased. I am rich. Thinking of godliness and contentment. Gratitude. Grateful. So he says, put your hope in God, but then he also goes on to say, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And it's interesting because, I don't know if you, you notice this or you see this as well, but I see there's a subtle shift here from finances, from money, currency, and material possessions, to time. Time is valuable as well. But it doesn't cost necessarily a lot of money to do good, though it can. I mean, it can use uh, resources to do amazing things for people, but also time to serve, to bless others, to be rich, to be filthy, stinking rich in good deeds, in service to others, in blessing others. Then he says, and be generous and willing to share. And I was thinking about this. The word, here it says willing to share, and that's the NIV. And there's a lot of translations that translate it as willing. But then some, like the NASB, other versions, they translate it as ready to share. So willing, I have this image, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, I have this image of, you know, I'm not going to broadcast it, but if somebody needs something, then sure, I'll, I'll share with them. Very passive. And I think of like 
ready to share is, I'm ready, I'm looking for someone to share with. Or even the idea of looking to share. Someone says, um, you know, I, I have something I need to haul this weekend. And for me, rather than to wait to ask, for them to ask if they can use like my little utility trailer, I start jumping all that, hey, you should use my trailer, almost to the point they're like, okay, okay, I'll use your trailer. <laughs> but to share like that, not just if someone asks me and they happen to know that I have a trailer that they'll ask me, but looking for opportunities to share. Um, I don't mean to embarrass you, Mike. <laughs> but you, I look up to you in the way that you share. You are a great example for me in the way that you share. Walter and I, we, we can, some of the ways that you've shared with both of us. Mike, uh, years ago, he, he had a, an extra boat, right? Um, and so he said, here, take, this is my dad's boat. This is his family boat. And so he gave it to our family. He used it for years. Just said, here, use it. And then we ended up giving it back to him <laughs> and getting another one. But he's, And that's just one way of the many other ways that Mike has shared with me and models that for me. And I think about the ways that we as a church family share with each other. It's not always perfect. And sometimes we blow it. I know that I've blown it. I remember one time years ago, and Rick, it, it bothers me still, we, when we lived in the Dickinson's basement suite, and Rick said, hey, can I use your truck? And I gave some crappy response. I don't remember what it was. And I just re- regret that now. And I, don't, I, I noticed now, I don't know if Rick noticed it, but he's never once asked me again to borrow my truck. <laughs> so, so Rick, forgive me. Because I wasn't ready, I wasn't looking to share I wasn't even willing at that moment. God, forgive me. But this is how we are wealthy. Is that we're willing to share with each other. That we're ready to share. Like, ready for the opportunity. Even more than that, we're looking for the opportunity to share with each other. So Paul encourages Timothy. He says, tell the church to be willing to share. But he also says, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of life that is truly life. This is just a reminder for us that this world, this present moment, what we see and what we're going through right here, this is not the end of it. It's, I don't mean to, de- to minimize what's going on here, but we are meant for greater things. We have a future hope a future hope of a kingdom of God. Presence with our Lord or money will not matter. In fact, it's almost the opposite. The first will be last and the last shall be first. Let us do things here on this earth, in this moment, in this part of our history, this part of our lives, that build a firm foundation for us in the future that we do great things here now, that we are filthy rich in good deeds and blessing other, that we are looking to share all the time with people. Maybe in ways, actually, I would love it if we continued to grow our relationship as the church 
that is surprising, that is crazy in how generous and how sharing they are. Think about how that speaks to the community around us. In a culture right now where money is a god, money is security, money is everything, and we just share it like it means nothing to us or like it means very little to us. That we would take up life, that we would grab hold of true life, life in its truest sense. Wealth is dangerous unless we use it to honor God. And I was thinking about this. You know, maybe some can, maybe some of you are thinking like, you know, Jason, this is great advice. To be, uh, Paul has great words here for Timothy and I hear it speaking right to us, but how do we do it? Because I don't always feel so generous. I don't always feel like sharing. I don't always feel like, I, sometimes I feel like I've got a hundred other things to do and doing good deeds is just doesn't even make the list. How do we do it? Do I just have to self-discipline myself? Do I just have to twist my own arm up behind my back and force myself to do it? I was thinking about this, that we wield wealth best when we pursue Jesus. That these things come natural as the more we pursue Jesus. The more we cultivate our relationship with him. And in, our, in the scriptures, and actually in this part of Paul's letter, it's just a little bit, it's in verse 11. He says, speaking to Timothy, he says, But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue. I just want to stop there because he says, flee from all of this. And what is this? What is he telling Peter, or, uh, Timothy to flee from? This actually comes from last week. This is the passage that we looked at, or the part of this passage that we looked at last week. It's part of our reading. He says, people want to get rich, people who want to get rich fall into all sorts of temptations and traps and all sorts of foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is the stuff that happens when you start trying to chase after wealth. This is what Paul is telling Timothy to flee from all of that. Flee from all of that and pursue. So rather than chase money, pursue these things. He says, pursue righteousness. Pursue the righteousness that comes from Jesus. The righteousness that only he can give. The righteousness that he gives through his death and through his resurrection. But also pursue righteousness that grows in us as we follow him. So this old word called sanctification the making of us into saints. Pursue this kind of righteousness. It says pursue godliness. And just to kind of put that maybe in like more specific terms, pursue devotion to God. This is just devotion to the Lord. This is spending time with him in prayer and scripture, blessing other people. Devotion to God. It says pursue faith. And we often to talk about faith in terms of belief, but pistus is the word that's underneath here, the Greek word. It also means faithfulness. Pursue faithful living, faithfulness. Pursue love, loving God, loving your neighbor. There's no greater commandment than these. It talks about endurance. And this doesn't mean like endurance as in athletic ability endurance. This is hupomeno, which is the Greek word beneath this is 
um, long-suffering, often translated in, in the letters as long-suffering and patience. Patience with people. Pursue these things. And gentleness. May we be known for our gentleness, not for judgmentalness. And he says, fight the good fight of faith. And I was realizing this week as I've been studying this, so often people say, you know, fight the good fight. Well, they only got half the saying. Fight the good fight of faith. That's the good fight. It's not just the good fight, whatever that generally is for people, but it's the good fight of faith. Fight this good fight. Pursue this. Pursue Jesus. Pursue him. Pursue him in prayer, in reading the word of God, fasting, serving other people, solitude, all of these things, whatever it is that helps bring you into his presence and cultivate your relationship with him. Pursue these things. Pursue him. That's how we begin to handle wealth well. And it's not just a something, it's not just ratcheting up our self-discipline, but it becomes part of who we are, something we desire to do. That when we are closer to Jesus, our hope is in God. It just naturally goes there. When we are closer to Jesus, we become this desire to do good works, do good things, to bless people, just comes out of us. And we become rich in that. The desire to be generous. Not just willing if somebody happens to ask me, but looking for ways to be generous with others. That bubbles up inside of us, that comes out of us, that overflows out of us as we pursue Jesus. And this future, taking on this future, future foundation, this life more full, that naturally comes out of our relationship, out of pursuing Jesus. So this morning we've been talking about how to handle our wealth. Being wealthy is dangerous. That's true, it should come with warnings unless we wield our wealth to honor God. Unless we do the things that Paul said about being generous, about being rich in good deeds, about building a firm foundation for our future hope. And we do that best when we, sorry, do that best when we wield it, uh, when we wield our wealth best when we are pursuing Jesus. Imagine the reputation Imagine the reputation that we could cultivate or continue to cultivate, to grow, to, to nourish in our church family if we were the church that was generous or continued to be the church that even became even more generous than they already were. Imagine that. I would love that reputation or for that to happen. People saying, you know, I thought that church was really great. Like they, they served and they did things in our community. But on top of that, man, they are some of the most generous people I know. And they see so pleased to do it. Seems like the more they share, the happier they are. What is going on there? Because that is so different than the world people know. The world people around us know is the more they clamor and hoard for themselves, the angrier and the more protective they get. I mean, they've done studies on it. There's a certain point, if you are below poverty line, a certain amount of wealth makes life easier. 
makes life more enjoyable. And it slowly, slowly starts to increase. And then there's a certain point. I think, they, I think if I remember correctly, it's like around 80,000 or so like that, kind of like a middle income. Anything above that, people's happiness begins to decrease. The more it goes up and then to the point where it starts to actually decrease. And people are clamoring and hoarding for it. Imagine what if we became even more generous as a church. How that would speak to people. How that would proclaim the gospel to them in tangible ways. Ways they couldn't deny. In ways that spoke to them, that challenged them. So it's true. Wealth is dangerous. And unless we wield our wealth to honor God, it can be ruined for us. But here's how we get closer. We wield our wealth best when we pursue Jesus. Jesus.